Lonnie and Kay were high school sweethearts. But over time, the never-ending conflict and their loss of love threatened to tear their marriage apart. When we filled out our forms with Focus on the Family, they asked us if we believed in a miracle, if we were willing to allow a miracle to happen. And, you know, with all my heart, that's what I wanted. Lonnie and Kay attended Hope Restored, where Focus counselors help heal and restore broken relationships, giving husbands and wives godly hope for the future. I guess what I'd say is I cherish her now more than I did before, and I, and I have a way that I can communicate to her that I did not have before, and Focus on the Family has given me that ability. I'm Jim Daly. Working together, we can save more families like Kay and Lonnie's every month. Become a friend to Focus on the Family by calling 800-A-FAMILY or donate at focusonthefamily.com family. Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. Now, I always ask couples, when was the last time you had a 10-minute eye-to-eye consistent eye contact with each other, purposely focused eye contact, without any distraction, cell phone the other room, TV off, almost every couple that comes to see me will say, we can't remember. Some wise advice from Dr. Randy Schrader, and uh, he'll be equipping you with more insights to help you better understand and better enjoy your spouse. Thanks for joining us today on Focus on the Family with your host, Focus President and author Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller. John, the normal wear and tear on a marriage can take its toll, and it can be anything from financial worries to getting the kids' homework done, just the routines can really wear down your relationship with your spouse. And many of these stressors are unavoidable. We get that. But there are some things you can do that are what I would call regular maintenance that really help your marriage thrive. And that's what we're going to talk about today. It's not the situation where you're in some serious trouble. This is more the tune-up activity that we all need and we all can do. Right. If you're in trouble, if you're feeling like we're in a crisis, we can't pull up, uh, give us a call. We have uh, really a terrific team of caring counselors, 800, the letter A in the word family. As you said, though, Jim, this is more of a tune-up for couples, and I think it's going to help a lot of folks feel like they're closer. Right. As I said, we have Dr. Randy Schrader here. He's a pastor, former seminary professor, and has been a marriage and family counselor for over 30 years. And uh, Randy's been married to Jenny for over 45 years, and they have two children, and is this right, six grandchildren. Uh, His book is going to be the foundation of our conversation today. It's called Simple Habits for Marital Happiness, uh, Practical Skills and Tools that Build a Strong, Satisfying Relationship. Randy, welcome back to Focus on the Family. Jim and John, it's great to be with you again. I really appreciate you and Focus on the Family for promoting biblical values and supporting marriages and parents and families. Just thank you so very much for having me again. Well, it's a treat, actually. And I was telling the team as we were getting ready for the program, you you have a really good gift, which is to bring everyday metaphors into the marriage situation. So you make it rather easy, I think, to remember uh, little principles that really do help your marriage, and we're going to unpack those today. And I'm looking forward to people hearing more from you in this marriage area. In fact, you've counseled thousands of married couples, so that's where you get your expertise from. You've got stories galore. Um, what are some of those top skills uh, that you need to make a successful marriage? Great question, and it always begins, Jim and John, with, I think, expectations. The big that's E. That's so true. 
expectations impact relationships. The habits determine the quality of our life and our relationships, including marriage. And so what happens before marriage, Jim and John, are couples are meeting each other's expectations over and over. And that feels good, you know, to have your expectation met over and over. And so they decide to get married because they want that gratifying relationship for the rest of their life. And what happens, though, after marriage, often couples stop expressing their expectations that they so much desire and requesting different things, expectations from their spouse. And they forget it's all about the big E. Well, let me ask you this, though, because do you think in the courtship phase that that expression is happening any differently? I mean, I I think of Gene and I, when we were courting, I don't know that I was expressing my expectations mm-hmm. of our relationship, you know, any differently than our first, second, third year of marriage. I w- I'm not saying it was effective, but I d- I, it doesn't catch my attention mm-hmm. that I was sitting down saying, well, Gene, here are the three things I really need from you. Uh, what what do you mean? No, I think that's so true that, that before marriage, uh, there is a goal to make the other person happy. And making the other person happy says, hey, I'm going to kind of assume expectations and meet expectations. And then after the first couple of years of marriage, couples fall into complacency. Complacency is the dreaded disease for every marriage, taking one spouse for granted, taking the marriage for granted, and they forget about meeting each other's expectations. And so then they need to request those expectations. Yeah, sometimes expectations can be... um Boy, they're, they're conflict-oriented. I'm thinking of Gene and I. One of our early conflicts, and uh-huh. it was around this area of expectations, was if I went to the movies with my guy friends, like I went and saw Terminator. Uh-huh. She wasn't happy about that because <laughs> that's not a properly rated movie. Uh-huh. And I was shocked. Like, Terminator is just, you know, good old robot violence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that was something that she thought, wow, you know, I wouldn't expect. Uh, you know, a decent Christian man to go and enjoy that. So we had to kind of work through that, like what is uh, appropriate in that way. And that kind of took me by surprise a little bit. And that is a good point, Jim, because we all have our own dictionary uh, of words and how we define them. And so uh, it's important to make sure expectations are specific. And then you talk about what's reasonable, what's realistic, are they godly words and behaviors that need to be met to make an emotional connection for a couple? And uh, But it still comes back to the big E, expectations, yeah. and you and Gene talking about Let that. Let me ask you, too. In the book, you have a, an example of a couple that had been married 32 years. And you know, Gene and I have been married 35. How long have 37. you been married? Yeah. So Congratulations you think, to both of well, you. That's terrific. God, that and is terrific. And you're at 45, right? Uh, 46. 46. I mean, uh, that is great. Yeah. And that's something I think we three men are committed to, our marriages, right? Yes, sir. But a lot of young couples would look at us and say, wow, how'd you do that? How did you get through all that expectation issue. This particular couple at 32 years had some major unmet expectation issues. Describe what was going on. Well, they went to their pastor and uh, they were very faithful Christians. Jim and John, they went to church every Sunday. Uh, they had adult children that were married out of the house and, uh, and they both contacted lawyers. 
They absolutely want a divorce. Yeah, they, this is happy time. Yeah, the, kids are gone. This well, is time to enjoy life. If you the, a big a big range, twenty five to thirty five yeah. years is a, seeing a, a lot of a lot of couples get a, yeah. getting divorced. Mm-hmm. So what and, what was going on there? Just well, they just there was no unfaithfulness, but they just weren't happy. They were not meeting each other's expectations without knowing how to make the expectations known. And I think that is the key. I, I'm on a mission to share with couples practical, specific behaviors, words, and guidelines that make a difference. And so they came to see me uh, with every premarital couple, uh, Jim and John, with every couple. In the first couple of sessions, I talk about expectations. And I talk about being specific. Oftentimes what I'll do, I'll have a couple make a list of their top 10 expectations for their marriage. And so I explained expectations to this couple in the first session because they were in a crisis. And then I asked them, for the next seven days, will you please, and I think requests are better than commands, which are sentences, will you please ask one expectation of each other every day? Doesn't have to be anything big. Will you please put your shoes in the closet when you come home? You know, will you please put your clothes in the laundry rather than throw them on the floor? So 14 total expectations. They came back the next week, and they both had smiles on their faces. And they said, we want you to know, we contacted our lawyers and told them we're putting our divorce on hold. And we want you, Dr. Schrader, to give us the specific, practical words, behaviors, and guidelines that lead to a satisfying Christian marriage. All right, so we write down our expectations, I guess, big and small, those things that are going to irritate you. And and I would say the other aspect of this is don't assume your spouse knows what your, your expectations are. And they need to be specific. You know, when couples make a list of their top 10 expectations, like premaritally, you know, because I do it with premarital couples too, they'll say, go to church. Right. Well, that's a good expectation, but what church? You know, how often are you going to go to church? Once a month, once a uh, year, Christmas and Easter, every Sunday. So it's good to be specific with those expectations. Yeah, that's good. All right, we have that down. Now we move into um, the idea of practical wisdom and those good wisdom habits. You you identify four. What are those four? These are, I, I really wish I had called them stay in love habits. These They are fall in love habits that need to become stay-in-love habits. And so what do all couples premaritally do? Well, they go on a variety of dates, and they uh, do a lot of fun things together all the time. Mm-hmm. And they also look into each other's eyes. They make the heart, the Bible says the heart, the eye is the lamp of the body. They look into each other's eyes, and they make a heart connection. They talk hours and hours premaritally. And again, they're meeting each other's expectations. And then premaritally, they give each other lengthy hugs and lingering kisses. And those four fall in love habits need to continue, Jim and John, after marriage. Unfortunately, after the second or third year of marriage, I would suggest to you, have no scientific facts, 95% of couples stop doing the fall in love habits and that's what causes their hearts to go cold, what causes them to drift apart, what causes them to stop making their expectations known. The challenge there, it seems almost too simplistic. I'm sure some couples that are listening that are in some trouble, um, you know, they're not where they want to be. Yes, Again, sir. not serious. Yeah. And and we're here for you. If you're in a more serious situation, mm-hmm. give us a call. Our counselors are here and John will give those details in a minute. But even for, you know, again, the tune-up kind of attitude, 
it, it sounds almost too simple, Randy, that it, really it's just like spend 10 minutes eye to eye talking, hug for 10 seconds, give a 10 second kiss, uh, you know, and then make sure you're dating your mate. If I do those things, I'm going to have a great marriage. Seriously? Well, marriage, yeah, and that's a good question, Jim. Marriage takes a lot more than the fall in love habits and the stay in love habits. But if couples are not doing those, I kind of call them the foundation. Right. They're not going to be emotionally connected. And the uh, I, I would ask your listeners, Jim, and I always ask couples, when was the last time you had a 10-minute eye-to-eye heart contact, consistent eye contact with each other, purposely focused eye contact without any distractions, cell phone, the other room, TV off. Almost every couple that comes to see me will say, we can't remember. Yeah. We can't remember the last time we spent 10 minutes because couples are, you know, they may cook dinner together, clean up the uh, dishes together, but it's just passing eye contact. Just to look into each other's eyes like the three of us are doing Hmm. just doesn't happen after the second or third year of marriage. That complacency sets in. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Man, I knew my marriage was falling apart. I just didn't know how to fix it. I felt like I would always be alone, even if I stayed married. At Focus on the Family's Hope Restored Marriage Intensive, we offer hope to couples in crisis so they can have the marriage they've always dreamed of. For the first time, I felt like my husband truly heard me. I've received some great tools from the counselors that have changed my life and my marriage. To begin the journey of finding health, go to HopeRestored.com today. Oh, hey, Mike. Got here as soon as I could. What's going on, man? Hey, I just wanted to give you an update on my marriage. Is it good news? Yeah. Our marriage is going great right now. I couldn't be happier. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. It's like a solid 5 out of 10. (laughs) Having a marriage that's just okay isn't where couples really want to live. Give yourself and your spouse an all-inclusive weekend where you'll slow your pace and focus on each other. Get more details at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Uh, Randy, you describe in the book uh, something I'd really not connected, but it's the attractiveness of politeness. And that, you know, I I hadn't thought about it that way. I just think of being polite as the right thing to do. But the attractiveness of being polite to your spouse. Well, and, and again, after the first few years of marriage, politeness kind of drops out. And, and being extra polite, saying please and thank you and you're welcome. And uh, if there's a sneeze, God bless you. Uh, but when couples or spouses have affairs, it's often because... Uh, the other person is so polite and kind to them. In fact, I mentioned in my book uh, a husband who had an affair, and he, he said to me, he said, the other woman wasn't really that attractive, but she was polite. She gave me compliments. She looked me in the eyes for a lengthy period of time, well, what so we all, just yeah, talked about. Things. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Uh, let's cover uh, two simple habits for resolving conflict. I mean, these are just all, like you said, John, great handles mm-hmm. that you could rapidly uh, – put to work and hopefully folks will get a copy of the book because there's so much we're not going to be able to cover but the first uh, idea of resolving conflict is to stay inside the nines now you're going to explain this and i'm going to come back and say could we make it inside the eights 
because I'm a morning person and not a night owl, but go ahead. Well, I actually was going to, I'm glad you said that, Jim, and I'm glad we're talking about this. So what Inside the Nines means is there's never a serious discussion before nine in the morning or after nine at night. When I ask couples, when was the last time you had a big blow up? Almost 100% of the time, they'll say before nine in the morning or after nine o'clock at night. Now, Jim, you mentioned the eights. I, I, and <laughs> and one, one, of the thing, one of the things I love about you, Jim, is your sense of humor. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I tell couples massage those guidelines. You know, But the thing is, when we're tired early in the morning or late at night, our feelings are tender. And so even though I'm a marriage expert and uh, help thousands of couples, my wife and I abide by that guideline because if we don't have the energy, what do we do? We blame our spouses and we don't look for solutions. So some couples, Jim, based on your eights, will say we're not going to have a serious discussion before 10 in the morning. We both right. are not energized to look for solutions. We're going to look for blame. Or we're not going to have a serious discussion after 8 at night. Uh, you also mentioned it's important to sit uh, next to each other, not to stand and not to be across from mm. each other. I mean, these are subtle things. I don't know that I would think of that, but it makes sense. And I'll ask couples, when, when was the last time you had those three negative words, a fight, an argument, or a conflict, were either one of you standing, Jim and John, 100% of the time, 99%, they almost always say yes, one of us was standing. If I had the two of you yell right now, you could yell. If I have you stand up and yell, you would do a better job, and you would yell louder. And so standing is an intimidating posture. Standing leads to poor listening. We can't listen as well. I mean, the three of us right now are not standing. We're sitting so we can look each other in the eye and listen well to each other. And so it's essential in the business world when there's an I-need-your-help situation, where do they all sit? Around the conference table so they can look for solutions. In the marriage world, I suggest sit at the kitchen table and kind of sit adjacent because this is one time, Jim and John, couples don't want to look eye to eye because they're talking about a tense topic. And, and so they need to be able to kind of look away, you know, if we're kind of adjacent. And a lot of couples will hold hands, okay? Uh, now, that may not always work with kids. Some, If you have kids, sometimes they have to go to the bedroom and have two chairs there so they can be seated. But standing will lead to poor listening, leads to yelling, and, and when couples implement stay inside the nines, I need your help, always be seated, it's amazing, amazing how their discussions improve. Mm. Absolutely, I can certainly feel that. It, it might even feel a little awkward, though, to, to do that at first until you get used to it. Mm -hmm. I think I'm more of a, like, sit across the table from you, here's where we're going to go. Yes, sir. Competitive yes, sir. mentality, you know. Well, and, and that puts, you're right, Jim, that kind of puts that wall there. And, yeah. and I, uh, I appreciate you having me in the spring to talk about my parenting book. I suggest the same guideline to parents is to sit at the kitchen table and mm. it, when they talk to their kids so they can listen and have good eye contact. Uh, Randy, I, I want to get through the last couple of uh, analogies here because, again, they're so good. You talk about uh, scratches, cuts, and lacerations, and this is really helpful. I mean, I love this. Uh, describe it. So I use a medical model, scratches, cuts, and lacerations. Scratches, if the three of us are working around the house and we scratch ourselves, you know, it's not hurts a little, maybe a little little uh, faint uh, mark on our skin, but we know that's going to heal up on its own. So we don't do anything with it. If we cut ourselves working around the house, we will put ointment and a Band-Aid on that cut so that uh, it doesn't get infected. 
And so couples need to let scratches go and don't stress out over scratches in your marriage, okay? Uh, and, and let those go and address cuts and then lacerations. Rarely, rarely do we get a laceration working around the house that we have to go to the doctor and get stitches to pull it back together, okay? But, uh, but and, and laceration would for uh, my description would be adultery, physical abuse, extreme verbal abuse, you know, those kind of things. And hopefully lacerations don't happen too often, but couples need to just address cuts and lacerations and let scratches go. Yeah. And that G- makes a big give difference. Give some more illustration to scratches and cuts because, you know, one spouse's cut is another spouse's scratch. Mm. Great, great, <laughs> so, yeah, no, great insight, Jim. Again, you're, you're right. What, uh, what one defines as a scratch could be a cut. You know, and, and so that or can lead, a, a, yeah, that can a lead cut to issues. Or a scratch. Yeah, if if one uh, well, what does the Bible say? Uh, uh, gentle words create life and health. Griping brings discouragement, and so griping all the time. Hmm. God's telling us in His Word, don't do that. That brings discouragement, and so we got to let those scratches go. So if I uh, and it the, going back to the hug and the kiss, Jim and John. Jenny and I giving each other a lengthy hug, lingering kiss every day, and it's an odd date. Hopefully, it becomes natural, but it's an odd date, and I come, or come home and forget to give that to Jenny. Hopefully, if I've done it 300 days in a row, she would forgive me and say, Randy just forgot. Not, not that she couldn't initiate, but hopefully she would just view that as a scratch, right. you know, and just kind of let it go and so not deal with it. You use an analogy of wallpaper mm-hmm. um, about the importance of apologizing and forgiving. How, how does that work? These are so catchy. That's why they do work. If this room, and I know there's brick on the wall, but let's say there wasn't any brick. If this room was filled with steam and we wanted to wallpaper to beautify this room, uh, we could try to wallpaper till Jesus returns, <laughs> but the the walls will be damp and the wallpaper would just keep sliding down. So what we would need to do is open the door, let the steam out of the room, let the walls dry, and then we can wallpaper the room and beautify it. Likewise, in a marriage, when a marriage is struggling, the heart is filled with the steam of bitterness and resentment hmm. and apologizing and forgiving allows that steam to leave the heart so that mm. the the heart can be beautified. The the we talked about the stay in love habits, the hug, the kiss, the out of heart talk. That's not gonna stick if there has not been apologizing forgiving for a cut or laceration to get that steam of bitterness out of the heart. That needs to be there first. And forgiveness is the core of our Christian faith. There are 125 references in the Bible to the importance of forgiveness for interpersonal relationships. And so that is the glue for brokenness for my marriage when it happens, for your marriage, for every marriage. And in that context, I think it's really important to hit the three uh, types of forgiveness or components of forgiveness that you illustrate. So the first one, Jim, is to say, I'm sorry I hurt you, bye. And to use the word hurt, you know, and, and be specific. I'm sorry I hurt you, bye calling you a name. I'm sorry I hurt you by for getting to do that important uh, action. Uh, and, and that's the first step. Probably, though, the most important is the second one, which creates humility. Will you please forgive me? Huh. Uh, and that can be a tough one because it takes a lot of courage, a lot of humility for someone to ask, will you please forgive me? 
And then the third part is to always use the forgive word. Couples should never say, no problem, that's okay, I'm over it, whatever. We always need to use the forgive word and forgive others as we have been forgiven. Now, there's two phrases I suggest. I forgive you, or with God's help, I'll work at forgiving you. Well, and there's so much here, Randy. You, yeah. you think of the habitual uh, sinner in, yes, in that situation, and you know there has to be balance in that, that people need to be responsible. We don't have time to cover all that. I do want to address, uh, and I think from the wife's perspective, if I can speak for Jean, uh-huh. <laughs> But that that concept that maybe the wife feels like she is trying, she is putting in the effort, what we've talked about today may provide some additional tools that she hasn't thought about, but it's a very uneven effort. I'm giving 100% and he's only given 20%. What does she do with that angst uh, so she doesn't get the uh, humidity or the uh, steam of bitterness? Jim, another terrific question, and I'm glad you brought that up because wives are very committed to learning and growing most to be typically. healthy. Yeah, most typically. Yeah, yeah. I should say generally yeah. speaking. Yeah. yeah, you're right, Jim, most typically. And uh, and husbands, not so much, okay? And so I have 90 simple yet effective habits in Simple Habits for Marital Happiness that most of them can be read in two or three minutes so that although a husband doesn't want to read, they'll take two or three minutes to read about stay inside the nights, to mm-hmm. always sit, to give a lengthy hug, lingering kiss, you know. And so I suggest to couples that they, and husbands are willing to do that. They don't want to read, and that's why my book is so thin. Like I said, I had 350 pages on apologizing for giving, but I wanted a thin marriage book that can be looked at immediately and that the husband will be willing to get on board and say, hey, I want to implement this so that we can have healthy disagreement discussions, so that we can have emotional closeness and connect. And so that, I think, makes the difference is that it's not going to be take a lot of time. It could take, and couples, I tell you, Jim and John, a lot of times will do this doing their eye-to-eye heart talk. They'll take one simple yet effective habit three times a week and just keep growing. So you're saying relax a bit, let the process take place, and encourage him to read two or three of these with you. On a regular basis. Exactly. He can pick one out. She can pick one out. And if it's two a week and just say, hey, let's talk about this. This is specific words and behaviors and guidelines that we can use. And let's just talk about it. And it doesn't take that long. Yeah. And, and he'll get on board with that. But he won't get on board with, here's a great big book with a lot of diagrams <laughs> and a, a lot of concepts and a lot of philosophies. Yeah. And this is explanation of marriage. They won't get into that. Well, Randy, this has been so good. And uh, man, I hope this uh, gives you an inkling of the tools and the resources here. And Randy's done such a good job uh, distilling what he learned Mm -hmm. through his PhD and really grabbing the core things from a Christian perspective, which I also appreciate, Randy. Uh, We want to be biblically based here at Focus on the Family and use those principles that really do help in the human relationship of our lifetime, which is the one with our spouse. Mm -hmm. So thanks for being with us. Thank you again for having me and God's richest blessings on your lives and your marriages and your families as well. Thanks so much. And of course, we have wonderful resources, including uh, Randy's book, Simple Habits 
for marital happiness. We also have a marriage assessment tool. Mm -hmm. It's free. You can come and take that, and it will point out some areas that you're doing great in and some areas that you might need some additional work. And I'm sure Randy's book will augment those uh, additional areas you need some work in. But get in touch with us. Uh, If you can give us a monthly gift, we'll send you a copy of Randy's book as our way of saying thank you. And if you can't afford that, we get it. A one-time gift would be great. And we're committed as Christians to helping you. So if you just simply can't afford it, we're going to trust others will take care of the cost of that. So call us, get in touch with us. We will get it out to you because we want your marriage to be strong. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. And our number is 800, the letter A in the word family, or online. We're at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break here and then return with another faith-building program for your family. Stay tuned. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Guard your heart, for from it flow the wellsprings of life. If I don't take care of my heart, which is my emotions and my values and my schedule and all that, then I'm not going to be able to give it to anybody else. That's Dr. John Townsend. He's our guest today on Focus on the Family, sharing some relational tools to help us invest in others and also to allow others to speak into our lives. Thanks for joining us today. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. You know, John, I think everyone wants to live a healthy life, uh, but they don't always know how to get there. And there's always these attributes that they manifest that are very unhealthy. And it prevents them from living that very healthy life that they want to have, and especially healthy relationships. Our good friend, Dr. John Townsend, uh, has thought a lot about this and has some wonderful ideas on how to do that, how to uh, strengthen yourself, get yourself in a healthy position, and then be that cup of cold water to the relationships around you, which Mm -hmm. is what Jesus is really calling us to do. Mm -hmm. And he's going to offer some great practical wisdom on how to do that. I think you want to kick back, get a cup of coffee, cup of tea, and sit in and listen to this one. Yeah, you're going to find balance and encouragement for your daily life from Dr. Townsend. He's a nationally known leadership consultant, psychologist, a best-selling author, and is the founder of the Townsend Institute for Leadership and Counseling. And his book that forms the basis for our conversation today is called People Fuel, Fill Your Tank for Life, Love, and Leadership. And we've got copies of that here at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. John, welcome back to Focus. Glad to be here, guys. Um, the title People Fuel is great. Now, Gene and I, just to give you an idea, I mean, I'm more the extrovert, she's more the introvert, and we talk about how we either are fueled in a group or defueled, if I could say it that yeah, way. Some people say gains or drains. <laughs> right. And that that's true. But you know, one thing, it's so interesting to me, I think, and maybe this is part of being married, and I don't even know if this is clinically accurate, but I think over the years, I've adopted a bit of her need to back up a little bit. I used to, in my 20s and 30s, it was all outbound. You know, I just loved being in a group and it was party time and crazy and fun. And the more parties, the better, right? Mm-hmm. And then I realized, and I need time to back up because mm-hmm. I'm really empty. Is that kind of normal? It's very normal. They found out, in fact, that the extrovert needs cave time, not as much as the introvert, but everybody needs that cave time. 
So, and the idea there, though, for for her, for the introvert, is you do need people time too. Is that a, that was the other thing. Yeah. <laughs> that, that God made us to need both. Sort of the reflective time to say, "How's life going? Get my energy back." But I also need that good stuff that comes from the right relationships. And you also say in the book, which is fantastic, people fuel. Uh, that we have set needs. I think we, you know what I love about this? Let's get this right out of the way. The idea of amalgamating Christianity with psychology. I think it's a fact that as you as a Christian are identifying patterns that God has set in us as human beings. I think it's one of the most comfortable blends of science and faith in the disciplines of science. Do you agree? No question about it. In fact, most of what I study now, Jim, is neuroscience, and that's because every robust study that comes out about resilience or relationship or success or career, every well-done study basically says one thing, the Bible has it all. Right. That thousands of years ago, God said those things, and you can find Bible passages. It's a little bit like there's this tapestry in your, in your home that says principles of love, principles of success, principles of child rising, and then finally, because of neuroscience, the author's name, God, is on the bottom of that tapestry. The yeah. hard science now says he had it right. The, all well, right. and it shouldn't surprise us as Christians. That's the funny thing that we seem like, wow, that's amazing. But science should align itself with with Scripture, especially right. in the area of human behavior. Yep. Uh, so with that understanding, you say there are two sets of needs, functional and relational, mm-hmm. but that relational needs are often not met. Mm-hmm. So go ahead and describe those two and speak more about unmet relational needs. Yeah, so the functional needs briefly are that we all need to work, we need to do tasks, be responsible, hold our finances together, all the structured kind of scheduled things we do. But the relational needs are like what we need to know that we're loved, we know that we're, that we're accepted, that there's wisdom around us, that we can get truth. And the problem is a lot of us were trained to think, okay, I'm supposed to give all those things to other people, but I'm, I'm supposed to only get them from three sources, just from the Lord or my spouse or my Labrador Retriever, Max, because <laughs> right. he licks me because he unconditionally <laughs> cares about me. So I just go that way, and it's great. We need the Lord and the Holy Spirit in the Bible, and we need our spouse, and we need Max, but the Bible says oh so much more about other people that we need grace and nutrients from. I, I got the whole concept from... Um, um, from the world of bionutrients. You know, we're all into getting healthy and taking supplements and eating right these days, but we kind of never do. And I started thinking, okay, there's bionutrients like calcium and like, uh, you know, uh, iron that we need to stay healthy. I thought there's also relational nutrients. There's the mm-hmm. way that we get those. And we, we get those to each other not from a pill or a supplement, but from a conversation, uh, a text, a warm lunch or whatever, where we find out that we can get the acceptance we need from others, the wisdom the encouragement, the truth, the challenge. So the concept of relational nutrients is, are we getting the ones we need from each other? You know, First Peter 4.10 says that we are the stewards of God's manifold grace. God just basically said, I'm giving my grace to people through people. Am I getting that from people, and am I providing that for my family and my friends? Right. But to say I'm struggling in my work or my marriage or my, my physical health, vulnerability brings those nutrients, but it's a little scary for us. But if we can pull that off with safe people, the flow of nutrients works, and we go away feeling like, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to take the day. And that's what I appreciate about the, um, you know, the gentle nudging you're giving us here to kind of get out of the comfort zone, yeah. kind of the cave, as you described it, and mm-hmm. 
get to know the cave next door, right? Yes. In that way, you have four quadrants of relational nutrients. Uh, describe what those four quadrants are and how each of them relate to us. Yeah, they're all just kind of different categories of how we supply each other with the right fuel and, and get supplied. The first one is called be present. The first quadrant one is be present. That means, basically, it means to be with somebody and be present emotionally and shut up. You know, in, in Job chapter 2, it says that his friends sat with him seven days and seven nights and did not speak a word to him, for they saw his grief was very great. Mm. Only good thing they did in 42 chapters, right? Um, <laughs> and, 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 and so sometimes you just got to be with somebody and comfort them and say, I'm here. I want to get in the well with you. I want to support you. Number two is um, provide the good. You know, we all need people to kind of be a little uh, dopamine hit for each other. We encourage each other. We say, I believe in you, and you're struggling in your job or your health or, your, or with COVID or your finances or your spiritual life. I believe you. I'm on your side. I respect you. And people just need that little pop of, you just gave me an endorphin. And literally, that's what the neuroscience says. Hmm. We give each other endorphins, and we feel better when someone encourages us. So you've got to provide the positive good for people. So yeah. there's being present and there's providing the good. That's good. What are the other two? Um, the, the third one is provide reality because sometimes we need what I call a Gandalf, you know, in Lord of the Rings, the guy with the, the wizard, <laughs> and he has these lot of cryptic statements, and you go, oh, my gosh. And the person that can go deeper and say, why is that? Or here's hmm. another perspective. Give you honest feedback. Give you insight, wisdom. You've got to get that from the right people. So that, that provides so much when people go, oh, now I see things. You gave me clarity. It's the wisdom aspect. And what's the fourth one? Well, the fourth one is sort of like, now let's get our butts out of the seats and do something. It's, it's the action step. It's like, what's the action you're going to take? Because we can have all the presence we want, all the good love we want, all the wisdom we want, but you got to make behavior. And so what's your next challenge? What's your homework assignment? Is there a, a course you need to take? You need to have that conversation. That's what action is. And so we're all the time giving and receiving those four, depending on what you need at a different time to each other. And it's so good. And that's all contained in the book, People Feel. And John's going to give some details about that in a minute. Let me also ask you, and this is, a, this is one that, again, uh, I think I have often tried to figure out where is this line. Uh, people think it's selfish to think of your own needs. Um, but you say it's crucial to maintain health and well-being. But where is that line, especially for the Christian, to be mindful of your own needs? Because it feels at times selfish. It does. That we would put ourselves first. But sometimes you need to describe when that is appropriate, when it's spiritually right, mm -hmm. and when it's wrong. Yeah, I, I always go back to the Bible on that because we, we've missed so many verses. For example, um, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, guard your heart. For from it flow the wellsprings of life. If I don't take care of my heart, which is my emotions and my values and my schedule and all that, then I'm not going to be able to give it to anybody else. And then Paul says in Philippians, look not only to your own interests, but those of others. Not only to your own, but of others. So it's always been in the Bible, but I think sometimes we've missed that and said, well, any sign of self-care is selfish. And it can be, but if you're taking care of yourself and you're a healthy person, you're going to want to give to the kingdom and to others. Right. And I think in that context, again, this is just a personal example that hopefully encourages couples. Like Gene and I, I, I think it took us time in our marriage mm. to figure that out, that I enjoyed going for a workout or doing something. And at first, I think she felt 
wow, okay, what, what about time for us? Yeah, are you kind of leaving us? Yeah, and, you know, of course, then kids arrive, and then it's, <laughs> where are you? I need you. <laughs> and, and we get all that. But she is in such a good place with that now, you know, for herself, taking a walk and doing those things that she needs to do and doing them and not feeling guilty about it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, letting me go work out and, and do some of those things that I need to recharge. Why does it, first of all, why does it take us time in our marriages to work that out for each other? Well, it does because in the early parts, you have this kind of honeymoon period where I just can't get enough of being together with you. And right. it's a good thing because that glues us together to get ready for the fact that, wait a minute, you're not perfect and I'm not, maybe I need some space. But then once the honeymoon's over and you got, I know you and you know me, all of a sudden we know I need some space because space creates longing. There's a great song that says, it's a country song. It says, how can I miss you if you don't go away? <laughs> <laughs> so your walks and her walks make you go, hey, I missed you, and you get back together. Mm-hmm. It sounds like an introvert speaking. It, pretty much. <laughs> Please, go away so I can miss you. Yeah. <laughs> this Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. So many married couples today are struggling hurting, even on the brink of divorce, and some can't afford to get help. But you can make a difference in their lives. Your gift of $125 could help a couple attend a Hope Restored Marriage Intensive. They'll get three to five days with a Christian counselor in a distraction-free environment, building the foundation they need to stay together. Give today and help give them hope. Call 1-800-A-FAMILY or go to focusonthefamily.com slash safe marriages. You know that situation your family's facing? It's okay to ask for professional help. Focus on the Family's Christian Counselors Network can confidentially point you to a trusted therapist near you. We've been connecting families to verified Christian counselors for more than 40 years. Find a way forward for your family at focusonthefamily.com slash get help. That's focusonthefamily.com slash get help. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. John, what I love about all of your books, uh, they're so practical and you give such pithy, direct guidance on what to do. And another area in your book, People Fuel, you mentioned the seven C's. We're not going to take time to cover all seven. Let me just, uh, two of them, coaches and comrades. Uh, uh, what are you getting at with people seeking out coaches and comrades? And if you want to mention another couple, that's fine too. Yeah, the whole concept of the seven C's, Jim, is that we've got to be take responsibility for who we spend our time with, because there's some that people so hard. Like we said, you know, earlier, there's some people that they're nice people, but God bless them, they're drains. Uh-huh. And there's some people that are gains and give us rich nutrients so we can function, have great energy, great creativity and focus. Well, you've got to build up those those top groups, the coaches and comrades, so that you can help the others. So the coaches category is basically someone who knows something you don't know. It could be working out. It could be music. It could be business. It could be spiritual director. They only not only do they know what you, something they call it subject matter expert SME, but they also have the, they're trained in coaching. You know, you can have somebody who knows something, but if they don't have to train and teach and know how to pr- provide for the obstacles and the and the strategy, it's not going to go well. So they're trained to teach it. But the third one is my favorite. The third criterion is they have no personal need for you. <laughs> That's oh, good. now I'll tell you why this is great because either they're pro bono because they made whatever they made and you know they're just doing it, or you pay them. 
And, and coaching pays now at about three times what you pay for it. That's what the Harvard says. Say that one more time. Coaching pays one... about three times a mu- as much whatever you pay for it. It pays back. Okay, so the return to, is the, the really return. significant. Incredible. But the reason it's good that they, you have no need of it, then you don't have to spend in your little one-hour Zoom with them half the time asking them, you know, how was your vacation? How are your kids? How is your, you know, granny? When I'm, I have tons of coaches because I have a lot of needs. So, and when I, when I call my coach, I just say, hi, and he says, hi, and then it's all about me. Uh, and so it's not 30 <laughs> minutes of, of their life. And you can be kind of healthily selfish because it's dedicated to your betterment. That's the thing that makes a coach great. Yeah, that is good. And then the comrades? Comrades, you know, I got that from the military. It's like, sure. you know, comrades in arms and all that. We all need what I call a life team. And a life team is anywhere between three and ten people in your life, and they have several characteristics. They know everything about you, and they still love you, and they want to push you to grow, and they can be vulnerable with you. They know it all. They love you. They want you to see you grow, and they want to be vulnerable with you. And so you walk through life with them, and I have a structure in the book about it where you meet either in a group or individually every week, two weeks, three weeks. And you get together and you, you commit to being honest and open about how life is really going. And you care about each other. And you maybe bring a, a Bible passage in or you pray for each other. But it's a way to say, I need these people in my life to give me the nutrients I need. And I want to provide them for them. It right. becomes my growth team. In that context, John, you look at, again, culture today. I think it, just personally, Jean has a couple of Bible studies she's involved. And I would say that there is where she's getting that. Mm-hmm. Men tend to be more loner oriented. You know, it's when you say three to ten guys, guys, my, my, my that would be that close say, to me. I'm they, going, they wow. always go, well, how about two? How about, <laughs> how about one? But you, you know what I mean? Yeah. It is, and I agree. It's so important. I do have three mm-hmm. that I feel are really close in that way. But speak to that person that is struggling, especially that man who, you know, they're going, wow, I don't think I have anyone like yeah. that. What can they do? Yeah. I have a system in the book about that where basically, and I did this to myself because I wanted to eat my own cooking, is you go through (laughs) Microsoft uh, Contacts, we've all got that, you know, Outlook, and you just walk through it. If you can't think of anybody that knows you fully, loves you fully, wants to grow and be vulnerable, and sometimes there's a situation, especially if you're a guy, you'll take you about an hour to walk through it, and you'll go through, okay, him, maybe, maybe, Ooh, that one's still in prison. Maybe not. And then you, <laughs> and then you make it done. And you go, oh, there's like 20 names here. And you call them one at a time and say, hey, I just want to catch up with you. How's life going? And you catch up and you have lunch or whatever. And the, here's the magic. You take a vulnerable risk, a little one. It's stick your toe in the wall. You don't say my life is awful. You say, well, we're str- struggling with our teenager or my job's not what it should be or marriage is kind of struggling. You take a small vulnerable step, and they will tell you if they're the right person by one of three kind of, uh, uh, responses. Yeah. Number one, they'll, they'll say, you're a Christian. Why are you doing having problems? Okay, nice person, not a comrade because they're judging you, right? Number two, they'll say, you know, the weather around here is great, isn't it? I just love this weather. Well, they're saying, avoid her. Avoid her, man. I can't, I can't go there. Yeah. Okay, nice person, not a comrade. Third person will say, oh, you got a problem with your daughter. Okay, here's three books to read. Now, here's the seventh Bible passages. Are you hugging your daughter? Are you having boundaries with your daughter? Do you know her friends? And they give you all, they're the advice monsters. Yeah. And they're telling you, I want to be the, the, the great you know, wisdom person for you, but I don't want to be open. The fourth person, and this is the great one, will put down their fork and lean across physically and say, I had no idea about 
Sandra, your daughter, I love her. Tell me more about it. How did mm-hmm. it feel? Mm-hmm. Can I pray for you? I mean, what's it like for you? What they're telling is, I can go there with you, and they're a good candidate for being a life team. Boy, that's mm-hmm. good. That's good. Oh, great. The, the first four of the C's are, you know, pretty uh, healthy There's a lot of identifiers. Input. There's yeah. a lot of input for you. The next three are more Challenging. troubling. So go over those other three, and what are the core? Yeah. The fourth one is care, because Jesus said the poor will always be with you. I mean, the people, we need to care for people. I mean, that's kind of what focus in the family is about, is how do we care nationally, internationally, people all the way from people in developing countries that have nothing to somebody who's homeless or going through sex trafficking or somebody, a friend who's in need or whatever. And we're called to do that. And so we have responsibility to do that, to be on boards, to do help, to, you know, I'm, I'm always doing kind of roll your sleeves up kind of ministry. And so the cool thing about that, though, is every time you finish doing a, a service project or whatever, and I'm, you're probably like this too, and I'll be flying home or driving home, I'll always say to myself, why am I not doing that more? I feel like transcendent. I feel like I'm with God. And that's because God puts a little endorphin in me every time I give as a self-reinforcing system to say, that felt good, didn't it, John? Do it again. Mm. It's how he keeps care going because we feel so at one with God after we do it. Yeah. And then the chronic side. Well, the chronics, I, you know, I'm originally from the South, and we call the chronics the bless their heart folks. <laughs> Bless their heart. They're trying. It's, it's not a term of endearment. It is really. not, no, it's just a nice way to say, oh, my gosh, because the problem with them is they're, they're not mean people. Certainly not. But they have problems that never go away. Money problems, relationship problems, self-help problems, job problems. And the key to being a chronic is that they have what I call, and I'm not being, I'm being charitable here. They have what I call a flat learning curve. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they experience pain and loss and all this. And you and I would go, what I pick up from that? I want to do that differently. And right. they go back and make the same mistake mm-hmm. over again. The Proverbs in the Bible would call them a foolish person. And you, most of us spend way too much time trying to help a chronic change. And mm-hmm. if you've ever done that, spent mentoring time with somebody and, and, and had meetings with them and didn't go to your kids' soccer games because they needed you so much, the key is when they, to give them a homework assignment. I'm big on homework assignments. <laughs> and they come back from the next meeting and say, well, did you do that thing about you know, going to a Dave Ramsey course? Or did you do that thing about spiritual development or about working out? And they'll go, no, I've been really busy. <laughs> and you say, that's what I told you to get out of your pain from last week. And they're the ones you have to sometimes say, I can't spend as much time with them as I'd like to because they can totally drain you. Yeah, and it's, that's important. Um, the last one is the most dangerous, the, the contaminant. Dangerous. Mm-hmm. Describe that person. Contaminant is a person who's a bad person. You know, I believe in a personal devil from the Bible. I believe he's a personality, and I believe that they're bad people. And, um, and, and you see in the Bible that there are people who, just like the devil, they want to seek and destroy. And a, a person who's a contaminant, really has a lot of envious feelings towards successful people. If you've got a family, they may want to tear your family apart. Right. If you've got an organization or a church, they may want to tear their, their apart because they, they, they're just bad people. Give me the adjective so the person listening could, could identify, oh, man, that's Aunt Sally. Yeah, okay, several things. Um, one is they tend to be predatory. They, they use and exploit other people. Second, they never look at themselves. It's never about them. Thirdly, they seem to have a kind of a strange joy in other people's um, pain, uh-huh. and they, they and then they get become actually kind of gossips to make that happen. I mean, they're just bad people. And so, what I tell people is just make sure that you tell them the truth because we all deserve the truth, and 
you make sure you've got the resources around them and, and be confrontive. And if they change, spend more time with them. But don't sacrifice your family or your church or your business or your head with those people. I spend more time with chronics because God bless them, they need help. Yeah. Contaminants protect your life. Yeah, no, that, and that's good advice. John, I think for the last question here as we wrap up, and again, what great principles and people feel, uh, probably the area that we have the most conflict in, it could be marriage and kids, especially adult kids. And that's one of the areas that we're, we receive a lot of feedback from. But you have a wonderful story of conflict within a family. And I think it's a great illustration that many, many people will be able to take away. So mm-hmm. what was the story and what did they learn and what did you learn in that situation? Yeah, Jim, um, it's a family that I've always been really close to. And our family traveled with their family on vacations. Everybody had the chemistry. And one of the daughters came up and said, I'm really struggling. I don't, I'm, fo- I'm, I'm graduating from college. I don't have a job. I've got financial issues. And my boyfriend and I broke up, and my heart's broken, and I don't even know if I believe in the Lord because I'm in a big college and wow. they don't believe. So I said, I'm, I've known you since birth. What can I do? This is awful. She said, you can fix my mother. And I said, <laughs> how did we get from here to there? And she said, well, I go to her with these problems, and my mother says, look, honey, you're smart, you're resilient, and you're going to be a winner, so feel better. And I said, does that help? She goes, no, I just avoid her. I said, how about dad? She says, dad and I talk all the time. I said, I'll talk to mom because mom was a dear friend of mine. So I talked to mom and I said, look at it this way. Your daughter fell down a well, a well of no relationship, a well of being overwhelmed, no money, um, faith issues. And she's down in this well and she's struggling. And then you come and see her and where you are, you know, the sun is shining and, and you know, Spotify's playing a hill song and everything's good there and all this. And you look down and say, honey, you're strong and resilient. You're a winner. Come on up. Like Bob Barker, you know, and the whole thing. Yeah. And she just blows you off because you're not with her. Mm-hmm. Now, your husband, who's also a dear friend of mine, he sees y'all's daughter and he jumps into the well. He lands there with her and he picks up his daughter, y'all's daughter, and he holds her and he says, it's dark here and it's overwhelming and it's scary and I'm with you as long as it takes and we'll get out together. That's why she listens to him and not you. And the mother said, mm. I, you're telling me to, to change my ways. I said, yeah, I mean, give grace before truth. Grace gives us the, the, the permission to give truth. If they don't feel like we're in the well of pain with us, they're not going to listen to us. So just be with her and be present. She tried it. I checked with them about six weeks later. The daughter said, Mom and I talk all the time. And the mom said, I've learned it. I've learned how to listen before I do this. And here's the message for people when I'm giving this talk is most of us think right now when they're hearing this, I need to do that. I need to get in that well first and say, I'm with you. Tell me more about it. How does it feel before I give my truth? I've got to be better about that. But that's not what I tell people to think. It's a great thought. Put that thought on the back burner. What we really need to be thinking now is seven words, and these are the hard ones. Who am I inviting to my well? Who am I inviting to my well? Because that's hard. That's vulnerable. Mm -hmm. But how can I give those things to others if I'm not asking for them too? So I challenge people to get somebody in your well and say, Mm -hmm. let me tell you how I'm really doing. John, this is such good stuff, and uh, what a great resource, people fuel. And uh, I hope the listeners will respond. If you're in that spot and you're going, I don't have another person in my life that I can trust like that, man, get John's book because it can really help you identify how to go about finding those people in your life 
who will be that great assist for you. And the idea that God is calling us to that, uh, not to be isolated. We're built for a relationship. And that's why he created us, for himself and then for each other. And uh, it's great. Let me also encourage you uh, to make a gift of any amount to focus on the family. Become a, a monthly supporter, and we'll send you a copy of the book as our way of saying thank you for doing ministry with us. And if you can't afford it, it's one of those resources that we're going to trust others will cover the cost of doing ministry to you. And I'd like you to call us and ask for the book. If you need it, we'll get it in your hands. Jim, can I say a word about that? I've been a donor to your ministry for many years, and I've never regretted because of the great fruit that comes from it with you guys bringing Jesus to people. Well, it's very kind. And John, it's great to have you as part of that. I mean, you're at the table giving the advice, and I so appreciate our partnership that way. Yeah. Well, donate as you can, monthly or one-time gift. And as Jim said, if you can't afford to give right now, we understand that. Uh, regardless, request your copy of People Fuel by Dr. John Townsend when you call 800, the letter A, and the word family, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Well, on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. <music>